So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, on Friday, two days ago, uh, there began a chess tournament called something like the Freestyle Chess Goat Challenge. And I might even have that wrong because the name is a pretty wild freestyle of a name. Um, but the important thing is that to my knowledge, this is the first Chess 960 or Fisher Random tournament with classical time controls and top players in it. And that is what I've been wanting to watch and what I've been advocating for probably for 15, 20 years. Jesse will have some sense how long he's had to listen to me beg yeah. for this kind of a thing. So for me, this is a long awaited event. Obviously, you know, when you imagine these things in your head, you could imagine all kinds of different formats. They've got a particular format, which we'll get into today. But for me, this is a kind of a, a dream come true, and I'm very excited to have it. And it's something I've thought about and theorized about. And now we have an actual concrete example of, you know, what does Chess 960 look like when played by the world's best in classical. In fact, today we've got our first four games that I've uh, had a chance to look at. And so today we're going to talk all things about this tournament. And uh, I'm very excited to throw a first topic at Kostya and Jesse. And my first question to you all is, what do you think of the oh, format? Oh, sorry, David. Sorry, um, before we do that, I wanted to, I thought maybe we should give more background on this tournament because like, it's, it's actually very interesting how this came up. Like, it's just some sponsor in, in Germany, basically like, contacted Magnus, said he wants mm -hmm. to do the super high level chess 960 event, essentially told Magnus, you can pick your opponents for this tournament, like whoever you want will invite and pay them anything, is what, <laughs> is what it looks like. And, uh, right. and then Magnus, he, he picked a very nice field, like you got Caruana, Feruja, Aronian, and then uh, a bunch of uh, other youngsters like Keimer, uh, Gukesh, mm -hmm. Noderbeck, uh, Ding Loren, obviously, as well as playing. So um, yeah, super fun tournament. And um, a lot of people are like criticizing the name, which is unfortunate because it's like, okay, it's just the name and it's not my favorite name. What, what's your guys' take on the name? Oh, okay. Jumping, jumping your <laughs> Yeah, I feel like um, I, I want to do like the fun topics first and then we can do fun first. Fair enough. <laughs> can get into right. it. Take the reins. Freestyle Chess Goat Challenge. Um, I think it's a pretty stupid uh, choice of name. For many reasons, for example, I might be the person most excited in the whole world to watch this tournament, or certainly, you know, among the top 10 to 100. Uh, and I can't remember the name of the tournament. Right. I mean, I did a live broadcast on the tournament. I'm constantly on the event page for the tournament. And it's just, it's so random, I can't keep track of the name. Um, the second thing I don't like about it is GOAT. Greatest of all time. I mean, as you guys know, Philidor is no longer around to play in tournaments, so we can no longer have a GOAT challenge. Uh, yeah. Huge You can blunder. give it any kind of name you want. Ultra challenge, you know, number one in the world challenge, you know, best of the best challenge. I don't know. But but why, what's all this obsession with GOAT? I hate how people talk about GOATs all the time. I just hate it. Everyone else does a bad job of it too, pretty much. And here it's very annoying as well. Jesse, you got thoughts on the name? Um, I'm gonna be the grumpus in this episode, and like <laughs> that name just further confirms my grumpiness about the whole thing. So yeah, I, it's obviously kind of like when me and David played in uh, 
China, and it was a great tournament, but it was called the Mind Games Tournament. I was like, oh, that's a bad name. Mind Games Olympia. <laughs> Mind Games Olympia. Oh, yeah. I like that. That was, that was another terrible name, last one to pass. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, I don't. I actually don't mind freestyle, but I, I get what they're trying to do uh, with the name because um, that is like it is kind of a more of an intuitive way to describe Fisher Random Chess 960. But yeah, I don't know if it's going to work because there's a lot of tradition. People have been calling it Fisher Random for many years, Chess 960 also. Um, so, yeah, it's very hard to uh, overturn tradition. And then the GOAT thing, it's like that just seems unnecessary. You know, it's just like. I mean, why? It's a tournament. Why are we discussing, like Magnus and like his his goat status? Like, I don't know. If it was a true goat challenge, it would be like Magnus, and then like Kasparov is there, and like Feruja, and like that's it. Like those three. <laughs> it's like that's like some kind of like goat challenge. I don't know. But yeah, I don't really. Well, I, I guess I get that it's like it was Magnus's pick. Like he picks his opponents, but I don't feel like you should make the whole tournament about that. I just feel like. It should be more about that it's like the first high-level chess 960 event. That's way more interesting to me than the fact that Magnus got to pick his his players, like whatever. And one of the things about goats, to be like more serious than angry, because I'm angry about it, obviously, but one of the things about goats is like by its very nature, it's not something that can be determined by a challenge, right? It's usually players from different eras. Like, yeah. if you invited Kasparov, who I think Magnus generally says that Kasparov is the greatest of all time. He did, not recently. Himself, mm -hmm. Right? So if you invited Kasparov, well, what? I mean, Kasparov's greatest was, you know, 25 years ago, not today, right? So it still wouldn't be a good way of determining which of them was better. There's, there's no way of determining the greatest of all time. It's just something for people to argue about in forums, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I don't know why... Um... <laughs> has to be like in the tournament name <laughs> so it's it's odd but i also feel like okay uh, the name doesn't matter that much like it, it's important but uh you know all the uh, money and effort they've put into this event is pretty impressive and so i feel like that shouldn't get overlooked just because the name is a little a little weird um Okay, well, the second silly topic was the jackets. All the players, they got a different color jacket. Magnus got dark blue, Ding Loren got light blue, Fabi got purple, Levon got maroon. You guys can look them up, there's a lot of photos. I think Feruja got yeah. red, no, orange. Gukesh got red. Uh, Keimer, I feel like they did him dirty. They gave him this like mustard yellow jacket. It just, I don't know, it just doesn't look great. Apparently, they, the players picked their jackets, or at least they had some. Choosing power. They draft them like they draft pawns or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Fabi was saying in the interview he had a choice between an orange and a purple jacket, and he went with the purple. So I don't, I don't know how that went down, but I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's a little odd. <laughs> you know how you know how in um in like animes and maybe some other animated shows, the main characters will wear the same, or all the characters will wear the same clothes every day sure. every scene for like you know three years of episodes because that's how you sort of recognize them yeah. um a non-chess player was like looking over my shoulder at a little video clip from the event and they're like ah it's so we can remember who's who because you know otherwise they're all sort of like you know white guys of a certain you know somewhat narrow age <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> Jesse, you have any special thoughts on, on the jackets or, you know? 
Okay. All right. Well, let's move on. <laughs> okay. You want me to bring another topic? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. just mad about the jackets. Wow, he's speechlessly <laughs> mad about them. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, my other topic would be, uh, what do you guys think about the format? And I'll just, while you think about that, I'm going to say the format just for the viewers so they know what we're talking about. Um. The format of this event is first a two-day rapid tournament in which everyone plays everyone, which is called a round robin. So there's eight players, each of them plays seven games, one against each of the other opponents. And that doesn't determine really in any way who wins the tournament. It determines who counts as seed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and eight. And then based on those seedings, they set up an elimination bracket. And then the main phase of the tournament is a knockout phase where you play two game matches at a classical time control. And so there's quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals, just whittling down the eight players to a champion. Um, if the two game matches are tied, then there will be rapid tie breaks to those two game matches. So that's the format. How do you guys, how do you guys like that? It's an original format as well as it being Chess 960. Can yeah. you just back up a second, boss? Because that's just, I think what's interesting to me about this and probably, you know, just to kind of dig into it. So I've known you for a long time and there have been two quests in terms of chess that you have championed. One was the whole anti-draw thing, which, oh my God, don't get in David's way if you're going to offer a draw, buddy. And then <laughs> this thing. So besides the obvious maybe it's just the obvious like it's harder to prep openings why are you a super fan of this either 960 or freestyle okay just you want to know the basic reason yeah okay basic reason is i think for really strong players they spend too much of their time memorizing openings which isn't fun for them and it also reduces the interest of the games and leads to a high percentage of draws and a high percent of high percentage of repetition of the same sort of structures and and recognizable positions. So chess 960 is going to give you more decisive results, more creativity, less time less time studying openings at home and thus more time to work on your end game skills and you know understanding new structures and so forth. Um, and so the games will be more interesting. And so in your view of this, this would be like eventually replacing classical chess. Replacing classical chess for professional events. Yeah. Not for amateur events necessarily. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, as somebody in chat already said, chess is hard enough for them as it is. So they're not interested in Fisher Random right now. Right. And I think a lot of people at, you know, a level maybe all the way up to 2000. I uh, feel like chess is like really difficult and vast and there's so much to work on. But at, at, but at some level, you also start feeling like, oh, my opponents know so much opening theory, I need to learn some opening theory, and that becomes more and more of a drag. And as that starts to drag you down, I think somewhere along, some at some level between, you know, 2000 and 2400, uh, there should be a transition to mainly Fisher Random. Kosi, how do you feel about it? Like? So I feel like in spirit, like in general, eventually it would make sense to switch to Fisher Random, especially like once all the theory has been played out. I just feel like we're not at that point yet. Like we've gotten, we have some very good players, 
but it's not like the top players they just like draw each other every single time like without intrigue like there's lots of uh, distinction between the top players you know we still have a candidates and like a clear winner and all this stuff so I feel like we're a while away from currently the way I see it is like you know like the average club player knows like a little bit of theory in like maybe like Italian game a little bit of theory in the dragon and like whatever a couple random things but once we get to a point where like the average club player just like knows all the theory and can just like draw with a grandmaster like at will just because they know everything with white and this is just like common knowledge and and then like then it's like you know, the top players are just constantly drawing each other all the time like no one can win a game against anyone then okay yeah it's time to like switch it up and maybe go to fish and random but i feel like before we do that we can shorten the time control i feel like we can play Ugh. a shorter classical like 90 plus 30, like without this like second time control, we can play rapid chess. I feel like there's still a lot to discover in normal chess before we just completely move to Fisher Random. Also, it doesn't have to be the whole nine set of 960 positions. Like I played this event last year in Utah where we played chess 18, where the king starts on E1 and E8, and then the rook start in the corner, and then the rest of the pieces are shuffled, like the queen and the bishops. And that was still very different from normal chess but it was a lot closer because at least the king and the rooks are in their normal positions and like castling is still normal and that kind of thing but still like okay completely removes theory and all that and that was perfectly interesting from like a chess point of view but you don't get this like because in fish and random the problem is that it just like it just feels too much like a variant it just feels like it's not normal chess it's just a variant. It's like your friend sits down and is like, oh, let me show you this other fun game. Like Crazy House is also super fun. But, you know, I don't want to replace Crazy House or Classical with, with Crazy House, right? Um, so no, to me, it just in its current form, it's it's way too much of a, of a variant. Yeah. What's, what's the draw rate right now in games between players over 2,700? At the top level or in the... Yeah. The players over 2,700, I said. Oh, like man, like might. in classical? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, because in this tournament, it's 25% because there's been one day, there was four games, and there was one draw. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. but that's not um, enough for stats, really. But I in feel classic. like it's like maybe maybe like 60 or 70%, something like that. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it's between 75 and 80%. It's like 77, 78, something like that. Mm. And one of the really interesting things to ask ourselves is what would the draw rate be? if top players played a lot of classical chess 960 against each other. And it's, it's hard to guess, right? Because we have absolutely no data. It'd be higher. But I actually think that the rate will be under 50%. I think it'll be somewhere between 25 and 50%. So in other words, you'll have either half as many or like a third as many draws. Um, I think that's pretty significant and Yes, you can find interest in, in, in the best games being played right now, for sure. But you also have games that, that, that lack interest or games that could be much more interesting. <clears throat> okay, I think I'm glad I asked you because it helped me understand for myself why I'm not a huge fan. I don't mind it happening, but it's just one of these things in the chess world where I'm not interested. Like, what am I interested in? Candidates tournament coming up. <laughs> That's the main one coming up. There's some storylines here that we're going to discuss in this tournament that affect kind of my yeah. view of the world championship status and yada yada. We'll get to that later. But anyways, what it makes clear to me is 
that in a lot of ways I'm going to call myself a chess reactionary, okay? Because I'm really upset at this FIDE rating change, and it's a very similar to someone threatening me with my 60. <laughs> and in both cases, what's happening is people are moving the goalposts, and when they move the goalposts, they create essentially in some ways a variant, as Kostya said, and uh, change the connection, alter the connection with the my past history of the game. So in the case of the ratings, what's happening is if everybody gets a rating of 3,000, then this whole thing we've had for basically, I don't know, six decades where, yes, there's been some movement in the ratings, but like Fisher's 2780 kind of meant something and it still kind of sort of transfers to today, right? Because you can imagine that'd be much higher. Then with this thing, it's just like a... It's just like a different game. And so as an example, I feel like with uh, soccer, AKA football, the if we widened the goalposts, that would also create more decisive results. It would create more, uh, maybe high, definitely high, higher scoring games. But for the soccer fans, that would ruin the connection to the past. And so that's where I think my fundamental grumpiness comes from. Like I wouldn't, I, would I play in some online event? Sure, I don't care, but it's not like this uh, earthy thing that goes back hundreds of years. And I think that's where my main problem with it is. And I, I, I love variants, <laughs> we do variants all day, but I'm not interested in it as like the thing. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. It's like once we switch to Fisher Random being the standard for like top events, then it's like, yeah, we just have an old chess now and we have the old days with Steinitz and Larson and all these players. And then we have the new chess where it's just those games don't matter anymore. Now it's just all about like principles and strategy and, and that kind of thing. And um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it is already an old chess. You guys are just still living with it. <laughs> it is already an old chess. Like computers have changed things, opening prep, databases. You guys have talked about all these topics recently, about all the things that have morphed chess at an incredibly fast rate. Yeah. But it's still the same game with still the same rules. I mean, so you're saying like formally same game and same rules, but actually, yeah. you know, what skills you need to play it have completely changed, you know, and who's going to be good and at what age and how they're going to train. Like everything about the experience of playing chess has actually changed while the rules have stayed the same. I could argue that you could switch to 960 and you would change the rules and yet the game might look more like uh, Steinitz's chess than it does right now. But just to expand my, my soccer metaphor, right? The, um, the game, of soccer, if you look at how they were playing in the 50s, much slower, totally different game. And it's mm -hmm. evolved and it continues to evolve. Yeah. It's faster and faster, the space people use gets smaller and smaller. So, but it's still the same rules. And so you have that connection to the past, which for the fans and the players, for me anyways, as a re chess reactionary, it's very substantive. Right, but like, okay, I, I don't know what, what's caused the change in soccer, but I think uh, an example that I know very little about as well, but in tennis, they changed the rackets, right? And that has changed how tennis is played. Yeah. Um, and if they said, oh, because of these new rackets, we're going to change the tennis 
playing field by three inches or five inches or whatever, you know, or the net by this or that, you could say, oh, now they've made a formal change, but it actually might bring the game closer to how it was instead of further. Well, one thing that's fun about 960s, it is cool to look at a chess position with fresh eyes and be able to analyze an opening um, without the computer and just kind of, that's, that's fun. Like just looking at a new position, like oh, pawn could go here, bishop could go here. Like I could, like that's very enjoyable. But yeah, we're also just kind of sending ourselves back hundreds of years. You know, like we just got to this point. We're just now starting to get some understanding. Like okay, Berlin is pretty solid, Catalan is solid, and now you know you just want us to just completely like throw it all in the toilet, <laughs> like <laughs> just start fresh. We don't know anything about anything. I mean, at some point it will happen, but I feel like, yeah, it's like, you know, 2,500 is the year. Well, also with openings, what I feel is like, um, you know, you download the latest Stockfish, it changes its mind, buddy. And so it's like <laughs> there's human openings and there's, you know, the computer openings and the computer keeps opening weirder and weirder doors on what's possible in the opening. So it's not like it's, it's not like a barren field. I don't think, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, there was a question about the format of this tournament, which you could imagine for old chess, if you like, as well as for chess 960, right? These two-game knockout matches. How do you feel about, you know, eight top players playing these two-game knockout matches instead of a traditional round-robin or double round-robin? Um, well, one of the things that I think is fascinating about the format is... Uh, you know, I've been on Magnus for a while for giving up his world championship. It still rankles me. And I might give a speech to Magnus sometime in this plot. But it looks kind of like, oh, this is a way for Magnus to express a little bit of what his dreams are of a world championship. Because the dude has said things like, it should be multi-time controlled, mm -hmm. right? He's like, we should have a little rapid, a little blitz. This should all be kind of thrown in. Mm -hmm. And then this is one of the first events where I see that happening. So it seems like this is part of Magnus's vision. Uh, as a fan, I'm, I'm not interested. I, I'm just not interested in either class rapid played by normal chess rules or you know rapid played by 960 rules but still i what's interesting as a fan from that perspective is like i guess we're seeing a little bit of magnus's vision of what he imagines chess could become yeah that yeah. is interesting um i don't mind the format yeah. the knockout definitely feels a little random uh just because it's only two games and uh so it's it's very fast um, but I mean, it's it's fun. Like knockouts are exciting. So, yeah, I'm definitely a fan of matches being four games long. To me, two games feels really, really yeah, it's quick short. for matches. Although I do think it's a bit better with chess nine sixty than with normal chess. The two game matches because there's a little bit more room to show your superiority because basically you're playing more of the game yourself like the opening just gets skipped in such a high percentage of top level games and you know the impossibility of winning with black because of opening theory like all that's kind of gone in a way right i mean you can win with black in in chess 960 probably much more easily than in than in normal chess so there's there's a little more 
wiggle room, right? As far as like, oh, can you find a crack in this person's defense or this guy's armor? Or is there any way to play a game against them with black for a win and stuff like that is its own sort of specialized little game with very small percentages that you're aiming for. Um, but yeah, I would I would definitely prefer matches to be four games long in general. Yeah, it's nice that you're always guaranteed a game in 960 if you're down a point. It's just you're just completely guaranteed to get a fighting position. Okay, um, let's talk about who's in the event for a little bit. Um, and also, this is your chance to say if you've got any issues with Magnus getting to sort of pick his opponents, uh, or if you think that's cool uh, or not cool. But um, from these eight players who are here, do you feel like there's anyone who should have been in the tournament who isn't, anyone who's missing, or anybody who is in the tournament who doesn't deserve or belong to be there? You know, what are, what are your thoughts on this field? I don't oh, know. It's a good field. Yeah. yeah, field is good. Um, it would would be fun to see Naka in there. I feel like he'd, he'd be a natural natural fit. I don't know who I'd kick out. I feel like everyone, I'm like happy to have everyone in the field. Um, so, yeah. And no issues with Magnus choosing his opponents. I mean, uh, it's not like a world championship. You know, so it's just... Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I think he he doesn't he wants a good challenge, so it's not like he's gonna pick like you know, weak players. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's the thing with Magnus. Like, he in a sense can do a better job selecting the field than an organizer because he knows who are the most difficult opponents for him, and that's who he wanted to play against. Like, he's literally like, these are the guys I've had the toughest time against. Like, bring it. Mm -hmm. Um. Okay. I would also like to see Nakamura like you, but there's nobody who doesn't belong. So, you know, I don't know who he, who he would replace, but, you know, he definitely belongs in this event. One thing that's clever about the event happening right now is that several of these players are going to be at the candidates. Like, so Fabi doesn't have to show any opening prep, doesn't have <laughs> right. to worry about that, dude. And so he could just play a couple games, you know. And then go about the business of preparing. It might be a good preparation yeah. uh, tournament. For now him. imagine if the candidates were also Fisher Random and he could play any tournament he wanted without revealing his preparation. Ah. Oh. <laughs> Freedom. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, cool. Well, the field is great. Very, very strong. Um, we've already touched on the name. What... I guess Jesse probably doesn't really care what Chess 960 is called. Coast, did you have a preference for the name for Chess 960 long term? I, I would keep it as Fisher Random just because I feel like it's classic. And, um, okay, not everyone is going to know what Fisher Random means at first glance, but but they can learn. There's lots of stuff. There's lots of, like, weird names in sports, you know, like Stanley Cup. Like, that's a thing. You know, it's like who's Stanley? I don't know. I don't know what the Stanley Cup is, but I just know it's a hockey thing. I just know that's their that's their thing, but I don't know where that comes from. So I feel like Fisher Random is not that complicated. I, I like Chess 960 as well. I, I don't mind the combo like Fisher Random slash Chess 960. I think people know it by both names. And yeah. David, help me understand it a little bit. So the 960 means that there's 960 possible positions. First of all, am I right on that? Yes, that's okay. Correct. And then. The deal is there would be a lot more, but Chess 960 is excluding those other positions. So it has certain rules about which positions are possible. It's not just full shuffling of the back rank. Right. The rules are the rooks need to be on either side of the king. Right. 
and your bishops need to be on opposite colors. Yeah. If you had two bishops that were the same color, your opponent would have two bishops that would be the opposite color. So it would be like double opposite colored bishops, basically, from the starting position, and really... I, then you could call it a, a variant. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um... The originally Fisher was not it didn't have the idea for 960, right? Originally he wanted a true shuffling. Is that right? I think he already had the idea that the bishops needed to be opposite colors. I think he may have also had the rule that the, you needed to be able to castle to the rooks. I think he just didn't call it 960. He he named it after himself, which was I mean a perfectly good name. He's gotta have one of the one or two most recognizable names in, in chess, right? I mean Yeah. Absolutely. Well, because one of the first of all, maybe it's like a canceling of Fisher not having it in the name, but also the word freestyle is kind of weird because freestyle would imply something beyond nine sixty. It mm -hmm. would imply like uh, you can put them, they could be wherever they were. You know, like that's right. what it sounds like anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's also a variant that's you know that's pretty freestyle or random where basically you start with the back row empty and then you place your pieces as your first eight moves. Okay, Stratego yeah, chess. Stratego chess. Yeah, and that's perfectly reasonable too. But, um, you know, I, I, for me, Fisher Random is the best name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so Why that's is that? what I would stick with. Just because it's classic? I think the random kind of evokes the shuffling, right? Um, which mm -hmm. I think freestyle is also trying to say, you know, that it's like free and changed, but I think the random does a pretty good way of evoking that. And then Fisher is just, you know, a big name that's recognizable and people can learn about Fisher. And uh, yeah, to me, that's to me, that's the way to go. Recognizable, memorable. All right. Okay. Um, I got a couple more topics. Um, yeah, let's talk about one. the uh, performances. Yeah, I feel like. Yeah. So, Central. yeah, we're when I first wrote up the topic list, it was sort of as a preview for the tournament. But now the tournament's already started, so we've got some idea, right? But let's talk about you know how good you expect these players to be and how good they're performing so far, right? Yeah. Well, the big story is that like the juniors were doing super well, at least after day one of the rapid. Um, today's results. We're recording this after day one. There was three wins. If I'm getting this right, I think Fabi beat Gukesh, Feruja beat Magnus, and uh, Noderbeck beat Ding. Yeah. Um, and, um, okay, they all had white. So I don't think this was like, oh, the juniors are taking over. Like, they had white in their Fisher 960 game sets. <laughs> well, and Gukesh is a junior who lost, so it wasn't yeah, exactly. an overwhelming score thanks to Fabi. Yeah. Um. To me, that wasn't the, the story. Uh, for me, I don't know, for someone interested in the world championship cycle, to me, the story was Ding's collapse, dude. Ding, yeah. And if, and if something's Ding. wrong with Ding, you know? Right. Uh, very, <laughs> very bizarre. And I think one of the things I was thinking about it was he, it's, he's such a weird dude in that, first of all, before the world championship match, he barely played after he barely played and then with let's say not world championship level results right and then this is a complete collapse and you kind of i think the last time there was a world champion who was not 
on top was Petrosian. And Petrosian took a lot of heat at the time because he would be drawing chumps and stuff. And so he wouldn't be like winning tournaments. And people were like, oh, world championship, world champion, dude, that guy needs to be winning all the tournaments. And it's actually kind of interesting in chess history that there's been so few of those players who made it to the top and then weren't, let's say, successful on the on the tournament circuit. And this just adds more, <laughs> more fuel to my little fire that Ding is not the world champion. And it's... <laughs> It was a little bit silly to call him world championship and the champion in the first spot, and now it's looking even sillier to be calling him world champion. Yeah, I mean, let me let me interject one thing about about there's been a pretty dramatic change in history, which is that in the past, usually the top there would be a small group of players who were better than the others with a gap between them, right? So the distance between not just the world champion and number ten, but you might have two or three players that happen to be on a really high level, right? Like at some point, maybe Capablanca, Lasker, and Alyechin, okay. you know, sort of overlapped as all being really good. And then there'd be quite a gap to number 10 at that point. And right now you've got the most crowded number of like really good players that you've ever had. And that's just sort of been increasing over time as more people play chess. But right now we've got this explosion of people playing and access to stuff like we've talked in other weeks. So. Right now, if you saw the world champion lose a game to the number 10 or number 15 player, it wouldn't be as shocking, I think, as you know, if, if Al-Yechen was started losing games at a random tournament to players outside the top 10. Right. Um, so I do think it's more possible for someone to truly be world champion and then lose a couple games now. Yeah. Also, I don't know if I agree with like the Petrosian thing. I mean, I feel like if I remember correctly, like in his last couple of years, like Vichy wasn't really seen as like a dominant. Like Magnus was number one for several years while Vichy was still uh, world champion. Uh, and so I feel like, yeah. you know, four years, four years. Yeah, I, I definitely remember people being disrespectful to Vichy as they are being to Ding <laughs> now. Um, but, uh, but Vichy never lost, like, you know, three or four games in a row or something like that, right? I mean, he had bad events, and then, I mean, people would definitely say say stuff, you know, like, oh, time to retire, and, like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I think the knocks on, like, Vichy or Petrosian or someone like that in the past were always, like, you know, oh, you're only, like, third place in a tournament. How are you world champion? But it was never, like, your last place, you know? Okay. But, like, but, um, last place. but we should clarify something, because, okay, here it's, it's last place in a 960 event, right? It doesn't... Sure. really doesn't reflect a lot on his chest. But the problem with Ding is not that he's messed up in this 960 event. The problem is, as Jesse said, like, he basically played, like, two events since the World Championship. He played a GCT event right after. He withdrew from the next one. He then withdrew from multiple events he was supposed to play, including, I think it was, like, the Sinkfield Cup or just some other high-level events. He recently played Waikonze. So clearly something's been going on with him for, yeah, last couple of years. I think, I don't know if it's like a physical thing or a mental thing or a combination of both. That's the issue is that we haven't really had a lot of info as fans. And so, yeah, as fans, people are just like, you know, they fill in the gaps. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Ding is, uh, it's been very interesting to see what's happened with Ding. I think people are very protective with him online. And it's like, there's been all this drama, like whether you're allowed to criticize Ding or not. Mm. Like, I don't know. I think Ding's a big boy. I mean, I feel like he got to the world championship match and he won it. Like, clearly, he's a good chess player. What random people say about him online, 
hopefully shouldn't affect his chess. If it did, I have no idea how he got to the level that he did. If like what random people say affected his like level or his abilities. If there's something wrong with him, like he's got like serious medical issues and like well first of all like maybe he shouldn't be playing that like why is he playing the tournament if like something like seriously is uh is going wrong he should take his time i remember kramnik had like severe medical issues in the past he took time off he came back and he was like stronger than ever i think people were happy to uh to see that so yeah no one's like rooting against ding or like or thinks he's a bad person or, or anything like that it's just like people are just pointing out that he hasn't done well for the last couple of years and especially since the world championship he's been very very distant hasn't played much at all um and so yeah people just want to know what's going on like i think it's totally natural oh yeah i have to like strenuously disagree with something you said which is that because it's 960 this doesn't reflect like anything about his chess i mean it's it's still chess man and he, <laughs> he in a random end game put a bishop on e5 with his king on e2 and fabi played rookie three check and he was out the bishop he didn't have a lot of time there. He had 22 minutes out of 25 on the clock. Oh, he had 22. Oh, okay. I thought he was. I saw that. I he thought spent he had three less three minutes on the whole game. Jesse would have been screaming about like using <laughs> how the game didn't count. You wouldn't get a dojo point for a game where you only spent three out of 25 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> um, I don't know how much you've played through his games, Kostya, but I played through them, and he's moving chess pieces, and he's moving them badly. So. I'm personally sort of more in the camp of people who don't want to like talk mean things about somebody when they're having a hard time. But if you want to ask, is he or is he not having a hard time? My friend, he is like his chest looks really bad. Like he played games, not just that a, that a world champion would be embarrassed of or a grandmaster would be embarrassed of. He played games that, you know, 1500s in our program would have not really wanted to show. Okay, that's hard. So I haven't like looked yeah. through the game, so I didn't. I had no intention of making like a qualitative statement how mm -hmm. he's playing. I was just responding because a lot of people are just going based off the result because he was like zero out of six, and so they're like, "Oh, what's going on with the world champion?" I don't think those people were qualified to like judge the level of his play. I think they were just just going off the result. I just want to say like the result yeah. itself doesn't mean anything. I totally trust your chess judgment that he is actually playing uh, badly. The result um, could happen, right? Because it's like in a super yeah. tough field, a lot of hungry young players, and then, you know, people like Fabi and Magnus who are always going to, you know, go into gear and try and get any point they can get off of anybody. Um, but, I mean, plainly, you know, he's not playing well, and you may have seen his games in Wake on Zay. He wasn't playing well. So, I mean, I'm sad, and I don't want to focus on it. But, but yeah, he's not playing well. Yeah. So, um that happens <laughs> and it'll lead to people like jesse saying it means he's not a real world champion i think it's uh it's still time remains to be seen clearly magnus is the undisputed number one player in the world and that's how we'll remember i think 2023 and 2024 possibly more years after that but yeah it's he's chess getting folks disputed you know? at this tournament coast yeah he's getting disputed in his own <laughs> tournament <laughs> yeah well okay i mean also it's like they've only had one day of classical right it's, it wasn't just 960 it was a rapid 960 people are asking in the chat if i've played not yes folks i've played 960 it's very random and rapid 960 is even more random because you don't have time to figure out your position you, you have to make a couple moves quickly in the opening and then good luck with whatever you got <laughs> so yeah, the fact that Magnus isn't in first place, does that mean that, yeah, he's no longer the strongest player in the world? No, of course not. 
I mean, normally Magnus is a good rapid player as well as a good classical player, right? Number one world champion in rapid right now. And he played seven games. Yes, anything can happen in one game or two games, but he played seven games, and I think he finished as the fifth seed out of eight players. Mm -hmm. So that was not dominating at all. Yeah. But okay, that uh, to me, that affects you know what we think of his rapid chess, not his classical chess. And, but today he got beaten quite convincingly by Ferugia in the first classical game. Um, so I feel like he set up a tournament to be like a challenge and, you know, he's getting the challenge that he was hoping for. <laughs> mm. Oh, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah. I have a question for you guys very okay. generally. Like, do you think that there could be people who are much better or worse at chess 960 than at chess? Like, would you expect that it's possible for Fabi to be 100 points stronger or lower compared to, like, could he be better than Magnus at 960? if they played hundreds of 960 games. Could Kamer be better than Magnus if they played hundreds of 960 games? How big a difference um, would you expect is possible across these disciplines? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of room for it. I think there's like players, um, like some examples that come to mind are like, like Luke McShane, like a player who's super strong, but maybe doesn't study that much opening theory, but is still mm -hmm. incredibly gifted. Feel like someone like him might excel in 960. I don't know why John Nunn came to mind. Like maybe John Nunn would be really good. <laughs> okay. um, no, clearly it feels like yeah. I mean, we see it with the online chess. There's players that are extremely strong online or in fast time controls. Um, you know, the best bug house players in the world. Like some of them aren't even like title players. So uh, with 960, I feel like okay, it's closer to chess for sure. But um, yeah, definitely seems like there's a lot of room for a shakeup at the top. Yeah, I thought I don't think there would be. I just want to say I don't think there would be that much difference. And the reason I say that is because when I was a kid, a lot of people said uh, blitz is different than classical, and you could have blitz experts and yada yada. But then, as Blitz developed and everyone was playing it and everyone was doing classical. The people, there, there, there were minor discrepancies between Blitz standings and classical standings, but not egregious ones. And so from that historical example, I feel like for similar reasons, you're, you're not going to get that big of a difference, even though you might expect it. Yeah. I was also thinking that the difference should be not so extreme, like probably less than 100 points up or down for players um and actually i thought basically that a 960 would probably unfavor or disfavor players who do more opening prep and play more sort of topical openings that they've spent more effort on their repertoires mm -hmm. and might dis and might favor players who play more creatively so to speak right like um like uh maybe Richard Rapport, who's being mentioned in chat, or somebody who just is a little bit less professional, like Luke McShane, and has played a lot of second-rate openings just because he didn't have the time to prep the big main lines, right? So playing a lot of those, like, whatever, knight c3, bishop b5 against the Sicilian kind of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, so one of the players that I thought might be a little bit lower in chess 960 than in chess is Fabi, because he's famous for fantastic opening prep. Mm -hmm. um, but in the first couple days here, he's looked really, really strong, both mm -hmm. in the rapid and in his first classical game today. 
Right. Um, yeah, Fabi's really good at chess, David. Like, very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, everybody here is really good, right? The question is, could the pecking order change, right? It's just, yeah. could it change? Yeah. Uh, I'm not doubting that anybody here is good, right? Yeah. But, like, Kamer also, like, performed so far above, you know, where you might have guessed him before the tournament. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just curious if you think that there, if we think, if we believe that there could be some big differences. Um, I would have thought before this event that Magnus would win it and would be like clear number one in chess 960, just as he is in chess. I feel like he doesn't really have opening prep as a super, super critical component in his arsenal. It's not like one of the things where that sets him apart compared to other players. And then he's so good at, you know, positional knowledge and recognizing structures and uh, end games and everything. You just overall chest strength calculation, etc. I thought that he would be clearly number one, but. Yeah. Not. Yeah. If anything, yeah, it plays to like both of his strengths, like fast chess and um, intuition, though. I, I mean, I think I think lately, like last couple of years, Magnus's opening prep is quite serious according to like top players like they feel like he's extremely well prepared but um yeah i mean so right it shows that there is like there's some significant room for for change because yeah we would expect magnus to dominate the tournament and if it was just a rapid tournament we probably would see him just at the top of the standings um like he won the recent although, world rapid yeah although he didn't win the seven rounds that they did play here well it's 960 different game yeah um, okay, so I uh, have another topic, which is what do you expect in terms of quality of play? Like, do you expect mistakes and so forth? Um, oh, there's always mistakes, Bob. There's always mistakes. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. And like, do you expect it to be much different from classical, I guess? Like, are they going to play a lot worse or get into time trouble or do you, what, what do you think on that front? Yeah, you can make an argument, you know, uh, that what's a lot of times happens is you get some, a little bit of theory and you don't have to think for the first, wherever it, wherever it ends, whether it's a move five or move 15 that you start thinking. So you have to start thinking on move one and therefore, you know, you might need a little bit more time. And then, and then, then your greatest wish, David, is that a little bit more chaotic, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit more, a little bit more blood on the board, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, personally, I found that I, I expected the quality of play to go down quite a bit, even with the classical time control. In general, we've only seen Fisher Random played at rapid time controls, and then obviously, there's multiple reasons the quality would be lower, and it is. Um, but I was looking, you know, pretty carefully at some of the games on Friday, and I thought that they were making, you know, mistakes within the first three moves of the games. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So I was actually, I expected the players to be a little bit better than they were as far as just navigating the first couple moves and, you know, knowing whether to put a pawn in the center or which side to be planning to castle, stuff like that. Um, I, I, I was 
unimpressed with the play in the first few moves of the games. And then, of course, they start playing like monsters at some point. <laughs> That, that was my first impression. So, David, let me ask you something. As a, as a fan of this, you know, I'm imagining if you really wanted to do this, we would need, like, a Chess 960 rating system. Yep. We would need a Chess 960 World Championship and, like, a candidate. Yes. Yes. And we'd have to have, like, a whole alternate superstructure. Yeah. Uh, well, David... I thought David wasn't saying an alternate structure. I thought David was saying, like, just replace. But, I mean, in the near future, right? Mm -hmm. In the near future. It's not going to replace it mm. you know, tomorrow. But in gotcha. the, if they wanted to do this, they would have to, you know, create a lot of hype. There would have to be money, uh, as, as this event apparently has, right? Um, and I think it's, like in anything in, in our world today, it's about gaining eyeballs. And um, it's hard because you've got grumpus is like me and you know i'm just <laughs> just got to think a little bit anyway so i wanted to hear david's vision on just like how this thing could start to become a bigger deal if at all mm -hmm. you're asking how do i envision it sort of gaining market share yeah yeah i mean my original thought of how it would happen was actually that the top players would somehow choose to start playing 960 uh -huh. like they would they would vote with their bodies right and with their right. time like they would say i'm tired of playing these nine round round robins against the same opponents with eight draws and one win or loss right. um like give me some real chess i want to play chess i'm a little i kind of disagree with that thought of my older self and I see now that to a large extent, the top players will mostly be willing to follow money. Yeah, like, exactly. There's, if there's prize funds, you know, in some 960 tournament, I don't think Wesley So is like, man, I didn't get to play enough chess. And not just, you know, to single him out. I think that's like, you know, sort of typical almost. Like 80, 90%, they're willing to just, you know, Play whatever's there as long as the prize fund and money all works out i think magnus is an exception to that he's somebody who's willing to walk away from a lot of money because he has enough and he really really loves chess more than a lot of these other people and wants to play it and so at least we're getting a little push from him here with this one tournament obviously it includes like a strong push from magnus but i do believe more and more that it's going to have to be you know, a market and money thing that moves chess from the old chess to chess 960. And um, that means you're going to need everything. Like you said, you're going to need eyeballs and, and, and organizers and, and prize funds to attract people. Um, but I think, you know, there's certainly a possibility that once somebody starts, it takes off, right? It makes it seem possible right because a lot of people need to be able to imagine something before they can participate in it and like i've been sitting around for years i think 13 14 years ago i made a folder in which i laid out like a fisher random chess federation right and like wrote up all these documents and all these plans wow. and you know rating system and world championship cycle and national cycle championship cycles and you know, interzonals and everything. Um, 
And there's probably a hundred other, well, maybe not a hundred people like me out there, but you know, there's probably other people out there who also had some mm -hmm. ideas and they're like sitting on them. But you know, you, you wonder like who else is with me? Is anyone going to show up if I do this thing? Right. And I remember like scouring interviews, right. And seeing like, Oh, Sam Sevian said that he prefers chess 960, you know, and I'm like trying to make a list of like players who <laughs> have at some point publicly said that you know, this is what they're into. Cause these are the people who might, you, you know, who you'd want to get, you need to get in contact with yeah. like-minded people to push a thing. Right. When you lead the insurrection, you'll need to know like, who's going to support you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like who's going to be on my side when I topple Caesar. Right. Like, and who's going to come after me? No, but like, um, so I imagine there's a, like a lot of people or some number of people who are interested in it. Mm -hmm. But it, but you know, they're not sure about you know what's the interest, what's the first move, and then once somebody makes a move, then more of those people will will pop out, you know. And um, when the lockdown started, I was thinking now would be a perfect time to run a chess tournament that I would call the 2030 World Chess Championship. And this was like in 2021 that I conceived of this event, mm -hmm. and it was to invite the seven top uh juniors in the world and magnus carlson sort of guessing that like you know eight nine years down the road those would be the top players so you try and guess who would be involved in a world championship eight nine years down the road and we have them play fisher random and we use my format for the world championship mm -hmm. right which is a mix of candidates uh turn of of uh candidates matches and then a four player six round robin or eight round robin for the final stage. But anyway, like I, I, you know, I, I was conceiving of things like this and there's other people out there, you know, and, and this, whoever organized this tournament in Germany must've had some thoughts for some years and they finally went for it. And my hope is that, you know, some more of us will sort of step out of the woodwork and find each other, you know, be able to connect and, and build plans. And I heard that they want to, you know, build more from this event. Like they want to try and make uh, a cycle, right? Like a grand chess tour or something, but in chess 960 or something like that. Right. And just hearing that, what if there's like 10 other people like me out there who are like, Hey, maybe I could organize, you know, a, a stage in their grand freestyle tour. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe something gets going, but it's also very important, you know, what's going to be the reception of the, of the event, you know, how many people are watching, are they going to be excited? And this event is being done seemingly at a very high level, but it didn't have a lot of press in advance. Like people didn't know about it three months in advance or six months in advance. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's like a first take and, you know, we're going to have to run two or three tournaments like this to, to get a real sense of the interest. But one I'm thing Dave, this reminds me of is when I say this, I mean, this quest of making 960 like a thing or the real thing is back in the day let's say circa 1990 there was a big push uh to make rapid the more uh substantive game and it was very similar in uh, aspiration in that rapid was seen as being more chaotic less draws you know a little bit more excitement mm -hmm. and rapid to this day kind of continues to be a, a thing but no one's interested in watching it I'm not watching it, you know. And there's no legion of fans that are like, "Oh, I swear by Rapid, that's the thing." Um, and there's no one who's like, "Oh, 
rapid world champion. That's the world. No, no one cares, dude. No one cares. And kind of in a similar way, this tournament, there's nothing, there, there's very little at stake. There's nothing at stake as far as I can tell, except maybe someone has a little bit of money, you know? So I, th I think it's hugely challenging. Um, and then also, David, here's a funny thought. Imagine that you're going to have not only conservative forces like me against you, but like, oh, dude, Chessable's entire business model is going to be wrecked if you, <laughs> if you take over, boss. They're going to they're going to be fighting you at so the gates. Chessable would never let Night Six. That's okay. <laughs> It'll just be their chance to join your podcast on once great chess companies. Oh, no. <laughs> that was a good one. <laughs> no, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, if if Chess Nine Sixty, honestly, if Chess Nine Sixty generated a lot of interest and people enjoyed it. I don't think in the long run it would hurt Chessable that much, right? Because Chessable is now part of chess.com. And in general, if there's more interest in chess, they'll just be able to publish different courses instead of opening courses. And they'll find, they'll find ways to, you know, innovate and still monetize the chess market. Oh, yeah. I mean, if anything, growing. opening strategy courses would go through the roof because you'd be like, how mm -hmm. to play the opening no matter what. <laughs> just... and, and also... And also bear in mind, I still think that normal old chess is fine for players under 2000 for sure. And I anticipate this would be a change in terms of what we want, what we have the top professionals players play against each other and make it more interesting to watch their matches with less draws. But most people would still be playing normal chess and they'd still be interested in opening theory. Well, let me read something in Some the chat here. Theory. This is from Bank, and Bank95 says, One thing with 960 from a viewer standpoint is that it's even harder for a lower-slash-mid-level player to follow the game. And I will say for myself as well, like, the beginning of the game is just, like, it, it, it doesn't feel good to me. It feels like someone's doing the chalk, the fingers on the chalkboard thing. Later in the game, it starts looking like actual chess again. And I'm like, oh, okay, now we can watch this. <laughs> so... I don't know if you have any response to that, David. I think that I do have a response immediately, which is that if you had a good commentator, you'd be able to follow the Chess 960. When I did commentary on Chess 960 on Friday, on the first round in Rapid, not a single person in chat said, I don't understand what's going on, or I'm confused, or what's the square, or what's the structure. Like, everybody was like, cool, this is really exciting and fun and good. So chess in general has had that problem that it, it suffered as a spectator sport from the fact that it's hard to understand. Even normal old chess, right? Hard to understand. Yeah. And the answer to that has always been better commentary. And that, and that was like a key for chess, you know, when we were trying to grow chess and create chess TV 14 years ago at chess.com. And it's going to be a key for chess 960 as well. But it's it's an easy it's an easy answer to that. Okay. Cool. Well, so yeah, David, you just need to get a lot of money, and then you can run your dream <laughs> tournament. Because I'm totally with you. The top players, I mean, they, I think the way they operate is like they just they have a laptop, they have an email, they get invites to their email. Hey, come play this tournament. This is the prize fund. Hey, come play this tournament. This is the prize fund, and then mm -hmm. they just choose their options based on that. Well, and let's just happen. add, they also are chasing this world championship thing. And uh, it's it's not just a money thing. It 
it means a lot more, though it will translate, if you win the World Championship, to money, you know. Whereas winning World Championship 960 or World Rapid or Blitz, it doesn't, it's not going to try, it's kind of cool, but it's, you know, not a huge deal. Right. So I think something that would help Chess 960 develop beyond this would be to have a World Championship cycle, right? To have national championship cycles and then to have, you know, prize funds into those that become interesting enough that good players start to to play in those more. And I think we've had some proliferation in, in rapid tournaments, Jesse, like you say it's on the back burner, but there are still somewhat more. Like if you look in the GCT, there's mm. a fair number of these blitz and rapid tournaments that you're not interested in watching, but for whatever reason, they have enough prize money that the top players have been playing somewhat more blitz and rapid. Um, FIDE also started having blitz and rapid ratings and the, you can follow the top 2700 and who's like the top dog in each of those yeah, yeah. fields and that's another point of interest that you mentioned fisher random would need to have a rating list so people can be a fan of somebody and watch the players they're fans of jockey for their position that's something that i think gets a fan interested to be able to say oh my my player is number three on the list now right right yeah all right well let's leave it there that was great man yeah Either of you want to commentate? Last question. Either of you want to commentate a round of this in the early morning hours with me this coming week? Yeah. Uh, I, I would, yeah. Just um, just depends on, on the time. But, yeah, I mean, that sounds fun. For me, like, the field is super interesting. So, you know, I would I would watch them play Horde if they were, <laughs> if they were playing Horde. <laughs> yeah. I think it starts out around 7 a.m. your time. So... One way we could do it is maybe pass a baton, or we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Okay, yeah, we'll we'll end the pod at some point. Thank you, folks, for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show.